0: This is Mary Celeste Bell. Welcome to the BlackBerry Podcast, where we'll dive into stories and knowledge of the incredible people that are part of the BlackBerry story. You'll hear from longtime friends, amazing visiting personalities, and our own inspired team members. With today's episode, we're beginning a series where Vice President of Food and Beverage, Andy Chabot, sits down with each of BlackBerry's six executive chefs, beginning with Cassidy Dabney, the executive chef of The Barn at BlackBerry Farm. Hear more about Cassidy, the philosophy behind her cooking, and what she thinks about current food trends.
1: Hello, I'm Andy Chabot, and I'm excited to be kicking off an interview series in which I get the chance to sit down with each of BlackBerry's executive chefs. Today, I'm here with Cassidy Dabney, the executive chef of the barn at BlackBerry Farm. Hello, hey. Cassidy.
0: Hey, Andy, what's up?
1: A few things. Cool. A few things. Cool. So Cassidy, I, I want to just start off just um, getting everybody to, to know you a little bit. Uh, where are you from?
0: Um. Okay, I get asked that a lot. And having moved around about every two and a half years, growing up, I would say that I've lived in Maryville, Tennessee, the longest. But uh, the daughter of a wildlife biologist for the Forest Service, we just moved from National Forest to National Forest. So I have um, some past in uh, Virginia, a couple places in Tennessee, Georgia, Colorado, Arkansas, and then I went to. Culinary school and started traveling. So then I just kept kept up with the moving.
1: Kept traveling. Where did you go to culinary school?
0: Uh, New England Culinary Institute in Vermont.
1: Oh, very nice. Montpelier.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. I, you know, um,
1: outside of Montpelier, I guess. But yeah. What what uh, drew you to to Neki, as everyone calls it?
0: Neki. Okay, you know that um, test that they give you, your counselor gives you in high school, where you're supposed to see what you should be when you grow up. I am familiar. Yeah. It said that I should be a chef. And the only pamphlet that he had for culinary school was necky, so that worked out. And plus, I felt like Hyde Park was a little bit too much of a big city, uh, whereas Montpelier kind of fit the whole small town vibe I was looking for.
1: Understood. So still, that sort of the where the places you grew up, you kind of felt more comfortable in places like Montpelier, yeah. Versus the bustling metropolis of Hyde Park, but Gypsy,
0: <laughs> yeah, <Right>. exactly.
1: <laughs> Very fun. Um, so after culinary school, what was your first stop after culinary school? I know you've been to a few places.
0: Um, my last internship was in Hawaii at the Four Seasons, Huala Lai. And I went from Hawaii to Hanover, Germany, and I worked at the World's Fair Expo wow. two thousand at an Indian restaurant where I made non and poured beer.
1: How did how did you get into that? Like what I mean, I don't even know where you would apply. Did oh you know,
0: this shady 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 man showed up at Nikki and said would anybody like a euro pass and the adventure of a lifetime and obviously I raised my hand immediately yeah. signed up and I was stuck in this six-month contract <laughs> at the World's Fair
1: Wow And then what was the cuisine that you were preparing
0: It was Indian and I'm using quotation marks because India you know is a huge huge place right but it was what um, like German, uh, people really think of when they think of Indian food and curries and naan and lots of okra and chicken tikka masala stuff like that. Oh, fun!
1: Does that still play a role in your cooking today? Those things that you learned there?
0: Honestly, it did. Um, yeah. Not so much what we were serving the um, the guest or the hanging the chickens to air dry overnight in the back of a restaurant. Um, But just what we ate for family meal, mostly, and then what we would eat um, and cook at each other's houses. Oh, fun.
1: So, okay, so you went to World's Fair in Germany and you cooked, in quotations, Indian food. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And then
0: what happened? And then I... I don't know if you recall the old internet cafe, but I found an internet cafe in uh, Germany and started looking for jobs just about a month in. Because I see. You I realize, saw the light at the internet. realized it wasn't
1: for you. You know, long term. Yeah, that wasn't
0: yeah. that was my vibe. So then I got a job at the Four Seasons in Boston.
1: Oh wow! Okay, as a entry level line cook.
0: As an entry-level line cook, I had done um, some internships at other Four Seasons, so I had a little bit of a leg up uh, going in there, and I worked at this restaurant called Doge
1: And and as a Four Seasons restaurant?
0: Four Seasons in Boston, and it was, you know...
1: Classical French.
0: Classic French, the year 2000, fine dining. Understood. All the bells and whistles and quenelles and things, so that was... That was definitely a learning moment. I learned more in those four years than I think I did in all of culinary school.
1: Really? As far as how to cook or about kitchen culture or what did you learn? All of the above. Kitchen
0: culture, how to cook, um, how to keep your mouth shut, how to keep your head down, how to focus, how to hustle, how to stay clean. Um, All the things that you don't necessarily learn, the real moments in a culinary school, I learned there. And since it was a hotel, I had the opportunity to learn uh, banquets, um, a casual dining. I also was, for whatever reason, kind of like ahead of the kosher kitchen for kosher oh, wow. events. Did lots of that. So they had a whole
1: um, kitchen dedicated to kosher events there. Yeah.
0: And I lived in, in Brookline, which is sure. an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. So I was friends with all the rabbis already. Huh. from the bagel coffee shop i would go to every morning so we were we got away with some stuff
1: Fuck, oh, that's amazing <laughs> so how uh, what is the kitchen setup like uh with the four seasons is it like traditional french brigade system like oh, yeah. and the, like
0: at the time absolutely uh tall paper white hats and all we had
1: wow all of that so you did you work up through the ranks what like what was your
0: I did. I started in um, Garmage, just kind of prepping and then, mm-hmm. then I did do Garmage. And then I got to work on Trement and then fish. And then after fish, I went to do some time with uh, banquets. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to get a full understanding of all of the different outlets. I see. And then at that point, an opportunity opened up at the Four Seasons in Jackson Hole to open the hotel.
1: Oh Wow. And what year was that?
0: and.
1: Two ish. Three. three? Okay. So um, so you took that opportunity to go there as a as a cook, as a sous chef? What was as it? a line cook. Oh, um, wow.
0: I really wanted to everyone said, Hey, you need to you need to see an opening, you need to work through an opening. It's a big, big step. Do an opening. Did the opening, mm-hmm. um, hung out for about two years, and then I came here to Blackberry Farm and worked under John Fleer. Right. As a line cook. Yeah.
1: So you worked under John Fleer as a line cook. And then so you were here for how long because you were here and then
0: for about two years and then i um left to open the capitol hotel as a sous chef in little rock arkansas
1: right which is kind of like the brand new thing no expense spared type of operation yeah and
0: it was a really 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 great learning opportunity to build out a kitchen do the, you know, draw what the kitchen looks like and then the flow of the kitchen and storage and renovating an um, old hotel. So there's a lot of blueprints. The first year was just blueprints and, mes- and menu development, things like that.
1: Right. And th- th- was that interesting for you? Was it something new and different? You had never done it before? Yes,
0: it was completely new, completely different. I learned so much. I The first year, I, I wasn't even in, we didn't have a kitchen. So I was in an office building With blueprints and just walking them in my head just to make sure that the kitchen ran um, efficiently and that it felt good based on the space that we were given. And then also just traveling all over Arkansas and meeting all of these wonderful producers and farmers and collecting this kind of thick book of where to eat in Arkansas
1: you might have the definitive sort of collection then. I'm uh, yeah, not sure I've seen that travel guide.
0: Yeah, no, 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 <laughs>
1: uh, so you were going around to farmers and in such in Arkansas trying to find sources for the menu? Mm-hmm. Was that the was that the desire of, of that opening that restaurant yes. to be
0: yes. you know local Yeah, just kind of discover Arkansas cuisine cuz you know Arkansas is a bit of a bastard child, is it the south, is it right. the midwest, who knows. Um, and just kind of discovering what it had to offer and then celebrating that.
1: Oh, great. Who was the chef there at the time?
0: Lee Richardson was the chef. That's right.
1: Yeah. So you were a sous chef to, mm-hmm. with Lee for for four years? Four years. And then and then what happened? You came back to Blackberry. And
0: then I came back to Blackberry. Um, Joseph Lynn at the time was the executive chef. And he said, hey, you want to be my sous chef? And I said, sure. So I came back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've been here for the past 10 years. Gotcha. So that
1: was 2010, 2009 when you came back. Yeah. You were the sous chef. Um, and then Joseph left to open his own restaurant. Yeah. And, and you stepped in the role of executive chef.
0: Yeah. About, about the five time. years ago.
1: Wow. Congratulations on that. Uh, so when you stepped into that role, what was the cuisine like and, and how did you feel you know, how did you feel your style was going to fit, or how was it going to change? If you can think back to five years ago, when you were kind of stepping in, in into that, what were you afraid of? What were you concerned about? What well, was your feeling?
0: Joseph is, is from the area, and he has a very um, solid idea of what the food of East Tennessee is, and having been raised all over the South and a bunch of different states and areas, I had a broader sense of the South and having lived in very rural places and being from a family of hunters, um, we've always had this really fierce connection to the land mm. and what it had to offer. And I really wanted to just dive into that and incorporate a little bit more of my experiences and then more of the farm onto the menu.
1: Understood. Do you think, um, maybe I should back up a little bit. What do you think Southern food is? So you hear that a lot. This yeah. is Southern food, and there seems to be some sort of...
0: Best I can tell, it's just making something delicious out of the ingredients at hand. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: it's sort of an interesting, you know, just thought process, because you hear that a lot, and then you also hear, um, like, farm-to-table, you know, as a as a food style, um, and, and it's something that actually I sometimes... I get maybe frustrated about, perhaps, because I hear it so much as a catchphrase. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure you do. You interview people. It's, it's a people. cliche
0: at this point, I think.
1: Yeah. Because I guess, what it, I mean, what is good food if it's not farm-to-table or, or field-to-table or right. what have you? But why do you think that term even became a term? It was,
0: I'm sure people were just sitting around drinking some beers and they were like, oh, yeah, that one. Farm-to-table, yeah. that sounds good. Well, it
1: almost seems like to me like it wasn't a thing or, or I I don't know. I've just always wondered about that and why people, I know we, we get a lot of like, you know, new cooks or people that want to come and and work here and they're really excited about farm to table. Um, and it makes me wonder what's happening in the wide world of of food and wine.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, I went to Montpelier because it was a small town and I came here because it was a small town and small towns just have that, You're eating local kind of vibe.
1: Wonderful. I want to touch on the garden at Blackberry Farm. Um, How do you and and your chefs and, and, and the cooks you work with, how do you interact with the garden itself here?
0: We watch them leave. For the evening, all of the garden, the, team. the
1: garden team, yeah, okay.
0: And then we will hop on a golf cart and then go down there and just walk the roads and see what's happening and what we we might ask them for the next day, or hopefully i am inspired by whatever we see. And the garden is a huge inspiration for us. It just, I mean, you, we tried a dish today mm-hmm. that was completely inspired by things that um, I harvested yesterday.
1: What do you think, um, where, where do people get their conceptions incorrect? Or, or what are the misconceptions people have about, you know, a restaurant with a garden? Um, and maybe, you know, to follow up, how do you think other restaurants could could do it or do it better? Um, I'm, I'm always intrigued. I mean, there's a limit to what, you know, you yeah, can do. Yeah,
0: I mean, we certainly use everything the garden has to offer, but that isn't enough to cover Um, our needs as a restaurant we are a pretty busy restaurant and we're never going to produce well i can't say never but currently we're not producing enough product to get us through um, a year right Um, of course we have like overabundance um, a few times throughout the year and and that definitely pushes us to preserve and, and keep those flavors in our larder but we also have this opportunity to support other local farms, and I think that is, is huge, is finding a relationship with your local farmers, supporting them, and then also getting really great ingredients at the same time.
1: And I suppose just by, by doing that, you make food of of the place, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can't help but think it's Southern food if, if you're in the South, I guess, doing that. Um, How do you des- how do you describe your cuisine in in your words?
0: Um, I like to say that it's yummy. Yummy is good. Yummy. Uh, <laughs> then normally, like, is that delicious is my first thing, and then also my first question is, is it delicious when I'm making something? And then the second question is, does it make sense for here? And then the third question would be, but would the guests like it? You know, you can make something that you think is cool as heck because you've been cooking for 20 years and you're looking for something you're like grasping at straws but will a guest pick up the fact that you put you know embers into uh, something and then ground up some things and then sprinkled it on top or are they going to really really like that you seared the fish perfectly and it's delicious
1: right it's a little is the juice worth the squeeze? Is the
0: juice is... worth the squeeze? And then finding the balance in keeping it interesting for me and the chef team, and then also keeping it approachable enough that the guests really, really uh, like it.
1: Yeah, that kind of brings it into another just question I had in that um, you've worked a lot in hotels, and you obviously you currently work in, in a great restaurant within a great hotel. Um, what what are the challenges? That, that brings and then what are the you know what are the pros to that also
0: challenges are you can't get too chefy or weird which is fine by me because if I, I wouldn't want to sit down and eat it then I'm not going to serve it if that makes right. sense and when you have a hotel you have a lot of different personalities they're staying for multiple days the rotating menu is probably the biggest challenge because we don't want the guests to see the same menu for the duration of their stay. So we have three days of different menus, which is a lot of dishes. It's 48 dishes on rotation at any given time. So
1: 48 dishes. How does that break down? Because each night the menu has... has...
0: Four salads, four mids, uh, seven entrees. Seven um, entrees. Little secret snacks that people don't know about an amuse and then desserts.
1: And then you have three different versions of that menu every season.
0: Yeah. And then there aren't actually four seasons. There's more like nine seasons. Well,
1: that's a great, that's a great point. I think, you know, in the whole, um, I'm using quotation marks now, farm to table, you know, um, movement, people think there's this winter menu and summer menu and spring menu, but I you know we've talked about this some in the past that it doesn't really work that way. You don't. You can't really create menus by by those seasons.
0: No. I mean, we have shoulder seasons where I will, and I know that a dish will only have a two- to three-week lifespan, um, and in that it will be rotated right. um, through, the, through the menu, and I will put everything I have into these little bitty, tiny micro dishes that will just get me through from when, you know, um, carrots are in season to when beets are in season or the end of tomato season and the beginning of actual squash season right um there's always this window where neither of them are good uh, so you have to come up with something else
1: Interesting. are there any dishes that you can think of that you've done that are like um they seem like they shouldn't exist on the same you know in the same plate or on the same season
0: yeah um, I did a green tomato and fermented squash, like kushaw squash dish. Uh-huh. It was a green tomato consomme, um, and then people just don't really think tomatoes and hard squash, hard
1: squash, fall squashes. But
0: they're they're happening at the same time. But you have to use the green tomato because the tomatoes aren't ripening anymore, and then you have to ferment the squash because it's not also not ripe. It's a, also a green uh, squash; that hasn't cured. So you have these two things that just aren't ripe. And then you have to make it. right
1: to together. use some some preparation to, yeah. to get there. Uh, you mentioned earlier preserving. Um, is that something that you grew up doing? Is it something that you're interested in, or is it something that you know out of necessity you've learned about and you're continuing to learn about?
0: All of the above. Yeah, uh, we grew up with uh, lots of gardening and canning. Um, not really allowed to have a whole lot of toys moving around, but we would always take those damn green beans <laughs> wherever we were, um, which is great. Um, so we definitely grew up canning and preserving and also freezing. We always had freezers because again, Especially hunting, hunting family, yeah. you have to have preservation for that. And then when you get here and the garden brings 12 bushels of tomatoes, you Better find a way to get those tomatoes used because they're precious, right? And you can't you can't waste them. So we definitely both,
1: both, both. Well, what are some of your favorite things that you've preserved?
0: Peppers. I've been having a lot of them with peppers, and I know that you sometimes hate that because of the wine.
1: Well, I I yeah. It's find them challenging yeah. at times, but we got
0: the second largest seller in the country. Come on, we
1: can we we find a way around it for <laughs> sure. Yes,
0: but peppers have been great and finding different ways to preserve them, pickle them, and make Calabrian like chili, um, dehydrating them, freezing them. We've got a lot of different. I've yeah. been having fun with peppers,
1: yeah. You made an amazing harissa that I really like personally, and it's, it's great too. with wine. Interesting. <laughs> what are you excited about? Right now, in food. This moment. This moment.
0: Well, because of my garden trip yesterday, I'm super into turnips. Also, I grew two at home, which is pretty impressive to just grow those two, since I planted maybe 30 and only two came up.
1: That's. I'm glad that you got such a harvest. <laughs> we, we I didn't think at home we planted more than two, and that seems to be all that grew.
0: Oh, good um, for you! Yeah, let be a show off.
1: Yeah, I, I did notice you've been gardening this year. Yes, is that new
0: for you? Have you uh, grown, moving
1: around? You probably didn't
0: we, guard lot. We grew up. Actually, I uh, had gardens. We would yeah. put up, you know, a garden wherever yeah. we were, even if it was just for a couple of years. Um. So definitely had a garden growing up. My family's big into gardening, and my past two birthdays I asked for raised beds for my birthday. Yes. So now I have That's two pretty big raised beds, and they're super productive. Yes. Yeah.
1: That's great. It's neat to um to see you know and cauliflower and things that. Uh, do you do you find that once you've grown some things yourself, you, you get a little more excited about those ingredients oh, to use them or?
0: Uh, absolutely, and then. Also, my neighbors have never seen like cauliflower growing or broccoli. broccoli.
1: I think a lot of people have never seen those two things or Brussels sprouts yeah. either. And they're like, oh my God. Yeah. So like, then,
0: you know, you just take a your knife and you're like, here's your head of cauliflower. Let me know what you make with it. And you get to share. Because uh, I mean, I can stop eating cauliflower. I've had it so <laughs> far this year. Um, <laughs> but it's nice to grow your own things. And then, um, I did a seed saving project with some tomatoes that I introduced to John and Mike in the garden a couple of years ago. And since I don't grow any other tomatoes, I can keep the the seed stock going.
1: Um, So you save the seeds? Yeah,
0: um, the Hazel Scots from Arkansas. I've Uh, been saving those and then also sharing and seed swapping those with a lot of people for other seeds or uh, seedlings. You get really? into this weird, nerdy rabbit hole of other gardeners in the community, and then people will just be like, let's have some wine and swap some seeds, or let's have <laughs> some wine and share some seedlings. It
1: always involves wine. That's good. Wine. Yeah. I'm, I'm for that. There's
0: reason to drink wine.
1: Like, yeah, I mean, it gives you a... So, going back a little bit, when you went to Jackson Hole... Mm-hmm. And everyone was telling you, you need to open a hotel. You need to open a hotel and open a kitchen. Did you find that that was an experience that you needed? So I hear that from a lot of people. And, and I, I wonder personally, is that an experience that you found fulfilling or?
0: I think yes. In that I always say, keep your hips loose um, in the kitchen. And what's, where's that come from? Um, kayaking. So I kayak. And then when I first started doing a little bit harder water, like uh-huh. a little bit more rapids and stuff. The, the the lesson I got from everyone was keep your hips loose because if you just kind of go with the flow and keep your hips loose and don't fight the current, you'll flip over less, <laughs> um, which is ideal when you're in a little boat. So keep your hips loose, kind of go with the flow and then be able to pivot and change and then learn from that. And like you can learn what worked and what didn't work and it was pretty fascinating watching um the management manage the staff through all those changes and keeping everybody excited about it and 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 spirits high and the morale going and that was that was definitely a good learning experience.
1: Yeah. How do you apply that now?
0: Uh cuz we're still doing it. I mean, <laughs> it's a restaurant, you yeah. know. Uh, so you just got to keep everything kind of loose and ready for any kind of action. Someone could come in and want a uh, cheeseburger pizza, which is definitely which has happened. Which yeah, which has happened. Um, and then you have to be able to keep everybody like excited about making a cheeseburger pizza in the middle of service, or maybe a party gets canceled, or reservations go up by thirty, or anything like that. Just having that kind of excited momentum for the day,
1: right? And for the change and. Mm-hmm and how it's not frustrating, it's exciting. It's fun, it's an <laughs>
0: opportunity to learn something new.
1: Um, dietaries. Mm-hmm. I think probably since you have been in the industry, you've seen a dramatic shift in, I would say in dramatic.
0: dietaries. I yeah, really dramatic. Um,
1: but I will also say, you know, just a few nights ago, you know, um, one, of, one of the managers saw a server come up to you, the sous chef and say, hey, this person is, is gluten-free what can they eat? And the answer was everything on the menu. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so I think menus have evolved, you know, quite a bit as well. I'd like to hear some of your philosophy on, on current dietary trends and how you manage them. Um, and, and how you've seen them change.
0: I've definitely seen an influx of gluten-free, dairy-free, um, Mm plant-based, Um, pescatarian uh, lifestyles, which I think it's just someone trying to be maybe healthier or or just keep a better idea on what they're eating and have a more of a focus on what they're consuming. Um, I think a lot of these dietaries are also very real for people. They're actual allergies. Right. Um, and they actually have a, a negative reaction to these ingredients like gluten or or dairy, namely.
1: You think people are maybe just more in tune with or it's a known thing so they test for it now that you know what i mean
0: i think testing for it is much more approachable now and then hearing people tell the story of well this was wrong with me and then i stopped eating this and that went away and you hear these stories and i know that since i have been not able to eat gluten i've definitely taken all the gluten i can off of the menu um just so that i can taste the food um
1: oh wow oh yeah
0: 'Cause I want to every day we, we taste through every single dish before service starts to make sure that it's 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 in the right place. And if I can't taste it then I won't be able to have a say in and if it's right or not.
1: Huh. And
0: completely selfish.
1: Then totally understand too. I mean you wanna be able to make sure it's right. And you also have taken a unique approach to dietaries in that you've tried other dietaries at, at certain times. You know, like you will spend a month not having dairy or something yeah, along those what lines what a
0: miserable month that was
1: i know no dairy would be um, challenging I, can't.
0: I mean i bless them
1: yes they're, they're wonderful people but
0: <laughs> yeah normally january um we will all like the entire team try to live in our dietary choice i think this year i'm going to be pescatarian um and just that really puts a focus on how you eat how you shop uh, dining out which isn't necessarily a thing no. right now, but um, you know, how you yeah. how you look at food and then where you source it, I think it's it's a nice little like wake up call to make sure that the people with those dietaries all their needs are being covered.
1: Yeah. And then I guess keeping it interesting too, which is always I know a challenge that you face in the restaurant, you know, with the three day menu rotation and um, you know, making sure there's variety within within that dietary. So I remember back in you know, when I was cooking, it was like the dietary dish was the grilled portobello mushroom. <laughs> yeah. That was sort of like...
0: still pretty dope. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's wonderful,
1: but yeah. you can imagine having that, you know, nine meals over a hotel stay.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, so um, I guess and, that's something that you get from trying a dietary as well. Is,
0: yeah, and not just the like interesting food, but also um, making sure that they're getting enough energy or calories to get them through the day when i did a month of being a vegan mm. i found myself being super tired and lethargic at, at certain parts of the day and i just needed to uh, kind of rethink how i was consuming uh, plant-based proteins and calories and then the amount of food because like when you're vegan you definitely you're going to need a bit more to just make it through the day
1: mm. It's interesting, and then you apply that to how you cook for those. Yeah, you, know, you want to make
0: sure that if you're <laughs> giving someone just a whole bunch of vegetables, because uh, a lot of like right now, I think we have a vegan that is also gluten free, you no know, carbs. Right. And that's a tough. That's, that's a, a tough, tough one. one. So you have to kind of supplement out other. So I guess
1: you levels. would have relied a lot on legumes and and things along those lines for for a vegan dietary. Yeah. I know I would look for that in a vegan. If I if I was going vegan for a month, I'd yeah switch to beans. <laughs> switch to beans. That's a, that's an amazing effort. I think you know switching dietaries and trying dietaries and having your team do that also.
0: It's a it's a fun little competition to see who can make it the longest, like the entire. Is month. Ever,
1: okay? So people don't all go. Oh, some one people month.
0: dip out. Like if there's pizza for Family Meal, they're back on the dairy. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, I, I do know. I do know that. Um, how, how important do you think the relationship between food and...
0: I think it's pretty important. <laughs> um, a lot of times when um, we're making, you know, dishes and we're tasting the plates at the beginning of the day, stuff will be very, very, very acidic. And I'll be like, you need to pull back on that acid because I'm, I'm hoping that the wine brings that balance to the dish. And then just making sure that everyone is aware that we might not have all of the words on the page, but everything makes sense in front of the guest. Does that make sense? I think so,
1: because I mean, there's an experience going on, you know, in the dining room beyond when the food leaves, you know, the kitchen. Yeah. Um, and I know here we have a lot of, obviously, a lot of wine. It plays a it plays a role, um, and I, I think your food is is very wine, you know, friendly. Um, I think we all joke a little bit sometimes that it's very white wine. You know, friendly, yeah. which which is perfectly fine. Um, but it seems like the acidity in white wine often is is the balancing, you know, yeah. counterpoint to some of the food. What do you think the the future of uh, food is right now? Of dining.
0: I think um, a lot of people are getting really good at cooking at home. Yes. Okay. And I think that dining out is more of a special occasion moment than it has been in the past maybe decade. Um, Because I think for the past decade, people have really been relying on um, restaurants for almost all of the meals of the day. right? And now they're cooking so much more at home. And dining out feels more a special occasion. Um, And having those kind of sit down, tasting, not even tasting many moments, but longer sitting around a table, being served food that you don't have to do the dishes yeah, for' yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit more um, it's a bit more special
1: yeah And how about trends in, in restaurant food? What, what do you see now that, that you hope continues? what do
0: you I love um, seeing food from all over the world presented as it is where it's from. I think so many people are doing really small kind of regional cuisine from all over bringing it out in even small towns like Knoxville yeah we're seeing all this interesting flavors and, and people really getting behind um, experimenting with them and trying them and I like the excitement that's happening
1: what are, what are some trends in dining and food that you would you would like to see discontinue in the near in the near future? there must be some things that, that you'd like to stop seeing.
0: Um, yeah, I think there isn't enough originality right now in restaurants. I think Instagram is kind of leading the charge in what people are doing and then recreating dishes that they saw perhaps at their favorite restaurant. And then, of course, it's not going to be as good as it is at the restaurant that came up with it. Mm. And then mm, it's just kind of, yeah, I don't like so that.
1: An upsurge in, in originality and yeah. less homogenization
0: exactly. in the
1: restaurant experience. And I... I agree, I think you can go to a handful of restaurants and get a similar meal. Um, you know, based on what you had said earlier about you know dining maybe being a more special occasion um, you know thing in the future that that maybe that will happen naturally. you know the best will rise to the top, so to speak, and that's where you will go,
0: yeah,
1: um, and not the not the not the others. Um, well, Cassidy. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Great. Thanks for spending it, time with us. And, did
0: I get out of floors?
1: Um, well, you know, every day at four o'clock, I think you clean the floors. Yeah. So no, we're not quite out of floor cleaning time. You still get to lead the team in that. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> but thank you for your time today, Cassidy. We appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Andy. Thank you for listening to the Blackberry Podcast. Continue following the journey wherever you subscribe. Thank you to our guests, interviewers, and audience. Dive into more stories, videos, photos, and podcast episodes on theblackberrymagazine.com.